Hello and welcome to Meet the Researcher, where we meet staff from the Faculty of Sport, Health and Social Sciences at Solent University. This podcast is for anyone interested in research and the person behind the process. It's hosted by me, Dr Emma Mosley and Dr Mark Turner, where we take it in turns to chat to faculty members to get to know them and their research. We hope you enjoy. This next episode of our podcast series where we meet researchers from our faculty and find out what they are up to. This episode is hosted by me, Dr. Mark Turner, and today I have the pleasure and privilege of introducing our next guest, Dr. Ben Paris, the course leader for the Social Sciences Foundation year here at Solent. Ben is also the co-chair of Solent Social Identities and Inequalities Research Group. So Ben, welcome. Fantastic to get this opportunity today to speak to you and get to know you a little bit more, both personally and professionally. I did say to Brian last year that this probably is a really important time for sociology and sociological research when we see some of the major political changes taking place at such speed. And you obviously get the discipline faces many challenges and the future for sociology and social science remains turbulent. So this is a really good opportunity to speak to you today and hopefully inspire some of our colleagues to consider the important role sociology can play as we develop new research activities within our faculty. So good morning. Good morning, thanks for having me, Mark. Um, the first part of this, as you probably know, maybe you've listened to a couple of the, the other podcasts, is really about you and who you are. So we get to, to know a little bit about Ben and, and where Ben's come from, uh, how you arrived at Solent, and some maybe a little interesting fact about you, which doesn't relate to research at all. So how did you get to where you are today, Ben? Wow, that's a big question, Mark. Uh... Well, if we talk about kind of sociology and sociology of sport and then later disability of sport, my kind of passion started at university thinking about moving into academia eventually. So I went to the University of Brighton. I think probably within the first couple of months, I thought I'd like that job in terms of the people there teaching in front of me. I think it was November. And most of my lecturers were going off to the NAS conference in Chicago. Uh, and Obama was just beginning his, his presidency. I thought, wow, that obviously that is the perks of the job. But then I started to think about my interest in sport and sociology. And that's really why I went to Brighton. Uh, so I know you have some experience with Brighton as well. Yeah this kind of, I didn't really know about it, this, this Chelsea school approach of yeah. getting there and these brilliant critical scholars who kind of take your love of sport and then make you maybe hate sport within the first couple of weeks. That, that happened as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then trying to find maybe that, that middle ground to understand it in a critical way. So those were my beginnings of thinking I'd like to do this. Uh, and I suppose it was maybe my second year when my interest in disability sport and disability sport research started to develop and most of that was in response to 
my fellow students and what they were looking at. And often it was, I'm going to do a dissertation on football or very specifically, this is the sport I like. And I was starting to do a bit of coaching in disability sport and starting to think about some of the critical elements. So this would have been about 2010 or so. Um, and then my love of disability sport and interest in that has kind of peaked at the time of disability sport became very popular and into the mainstream. So timing wise, it all has all worked out quite well. Just a, can I just follow up with a couple of questions? Just of course, yeah. it's fascinating, really. I'm, yeah, I, I recognize and sort of associate, uh, sorry, I identify with with the uh, you know the focus on Brighton and, and mm -hmm. um, sort of experience that. Um, awakening sociologically myself. I was just wondering, what was it about being an undergraduate student and maybe a postgraduate student as well, which inspired you particularly to want to pursue academia? You know, what was it an inspirational tutor or someone? Or was, it, was it a theme? You know, was it a theory or something? It's just quite interesting for maybe some of the students listening. Uh, I think it was a mixture of probably all of those. So I'd see my inspiration and the man I'm still in touch with, Dan Birdsey, as he was my personal tutor and really encouraged me to develop a critical perspective on sport and the sociology of sport. But I suppose it was being given the tools to view sport in a new way that was the most exciting thing. So say those beginning modules where we do introductions to sociology of sport, each week you're being given a different toolkit to understand this element of sport, which you just kind of accepted as, as reality, but now you can understand it from a critical point of view. And these are loads of articles where people have made these arguments. And so getting into that, I think, was the interesting thing. And then as I became more interested in disability sport, those were moments of finding critical writing by someone like, uh, David Howe or Danielle Piers, but also massive gaps where my own critiques were not being addressed in what I was reading and getting excited and thinking, I could, I can say something here. I can do some research and maybe change perspectives. So that's probably where that came from. And, and yeah, when I started my master's, I was very clear on my interest in topic area but then starting to develop that a bit further. So the second question then I have, which is sort of following that, I mean, we're going to get into a bit more detail, I guess, in depth around your research area. Obviously, we, we understand um, within the sort of parameters of disability sport, mm -hmm. but what's it been like actually entering the life world of disability sport? It's... It's, it's a difficult thing to say because I suppose each of these spaces that I've entered have been remarkably different. It's whether that's recreational or grassroots or the specific sport or uh, let's say kind of three major research projects I've done through the end of my undergraduate, postgraduate and then PhD, those with 
physically disabled and intellectually disabled cricketers, uh, amputee athletes, and then working with visually impaired cricketers and more recently visually impaired runners. So each of those have been different spaces. I suppose it's been going into there, realizing that they are so, so diverse. There's another thing that this kind of been central to my own arguments around disability sport. So entering into that life world. It, so before I started researching, I started coaching some disability cricket. So uh, my friend Greg Stewart, who was at, at Hampshire at the time. And that's really where my interest probably started from because I was kind of teaching or coaching cricket and something that I was qualified in but in an alternative way. So having to do it in slightly different or completely different ways, which first interested me. Uh, and in the beginning of, the, of my monograph, I talked a bit about my first experiences and how awkward they were. Because I was setting some cones out for a drill and just told the group to go and stand by that cone over there. But they're a group of visually impaired Sorry, everyone's coming in the house at the same time now. Okay, don't worry. Uh, so even kind of my ocular-centric or visual bias came into my coaching and they just laughed at me. in a Not in a condescending way, but as in a, okay, yeah, you've got some things to learn. So probably those moments uh, were central to my entry into the life world of, of disability sport and dipping my toes in. Really interesting, and I appreciate you sort of sharing that with us. Obviously, that's quite a personal um, question. I think it, it, it's really interesting for us as we navigate through, I guess, the more specific technical parts of your of your research. It's obviously about who you are and your your journey. Just just before we talk about, I guess, some of the current work you're doing mm -hmm. there. Um, just really interesting for people maybe who do know you but don't know you that well at work or maybe you don't know you at all what, tell us one fact about you which doesn't relate to research or academia at all well, yeah everyone everyone loves this question <laughs> i don't think i really do have any i've so my man i like i like a quiz which oh you is, like a quiz okay like a quiz. you must have been fine during the pandemic then well for the first couple of weeks and then just the repetitiveness. So this, this is the fact about me broadly. So I like a quiz. My dad likes a quiz even more. Uh, and my fact is he single-handedly won the ch an episode of The Chase a couple no. of weeks ago. Yes. Which in, in Chase world seemed like a, a big deal. Is this well known within the faculty? And I'm like out the loop here because I didn't know that. That's this was a couple really of years ago. Uh, I think some people saw it and oh, then they, they definitely spoke to me the next day. Uh, so he single-handedly beat the beast. Oh, my word. That's uh, pretty cool, Ben. I'm sorry, but that's probably the most uh, it's, interesting it's, fact it's, anyone. It's not me. necessarily about me, but it's it's a connection. So, uh, so there we are. I'm, I'm glad you're excited about that. I'm very excited, yeah. Passed me by a little bit. Wow, wasn't expecting that. No, very it's a claim to fame. Yeah. Okay, well, okay, let's let's move on then to your your research. I mean, how would you actually conceptualize for those people who are listening who don't study 
sociology don't work in sociology or social science. How would you conceptualize your research area? What, 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 what would you say the title of your research area is? Is it disability sport or is it something a little bit more nuanced than that? And then just talk to us a little bit about what you're working on at the moment. So it's probably not more nuanced than that. I, I'd see myself as a sociologist of disability sport. Okay. So taking a critical viewpoint on uh, disability sport and physical activity, trying to understand the lived experience of those who participate in that and probably challenging the institutions or power structures that seem to dominate this field and questioning a lot of their messages or what they say about what they do or what disability sport can offer the disabled community as a whole. So that's, I would say that's that in a nutshell. That's good, yeah, interesting. In terms of what I'm doing at the moment, so I'm finishing uh, an edited collection with uh, Dr. James Brighton and Dr. David Howe, which is called Research in Disability Sport, which is the first time trying to bring uh, pro critical understanding of disability sport together in one book. So we're almost there with it. It's really, really exciting. And then some research with Dr. Jess Macbeth at UCLan, who I work with quite a lot, uh, on visually impaired runners and primarily their experiences of running during lockdown, but also their sporting biographies and their sensory experiences of running more broadly. So that's me at the moment. Uh, we've got the data. We're just trying to write it up. As you know, those those things are taking taking a while. I do know. I appreciate. It. Yeah, I mean, just uh, maybe a little indulgent question, just on my part. But I, obviously, I'm interested um, in you know temporality and the study of time. And I was just sort of thinking then, when you were sort of giving us that that short overview of what it is you're doing at the moment, is are you able to tell us just briefly how disability sport, in terms of the field? has developed over the sort of last 10, 15 years? In terms obviously, of you're, obviously, you're writing this, uh, you're editing this um, collection, this research in disabilities. But what, what, can, what, what are we learning about? What have we learned about disability sport critically over this sort of last decade? I think there's been brilliant moments of criticality and academics who have, written engaging uh, innovative research that probably looks behind the facade of disability sport as as empowering as uh, a wholly positive experience as representative of disabled people more broadly from a kind of social scientific perspective if i'm being critical which well i'm going to be critical uh and this is what we're trying the book to be. Those moments have been too few and far between, I think. So if we're going, if we're going to a conference and there's some presentations on disability, lots of them won't necessarily engage with theoretical conversations about how to define what disability is or how to define what disability sport is. They're almost, it's almost accepted as a social fact and 
that's what that is. I'm now going to tell you about my research. We're hoping in this book that we've brought together um, academics who engage with theoretical approaches to disability, apply them to disability sport, and then have created empirical arguments or research that demonstrate how exciting the field can be. So it has progressed, it's definitely become more popular, but that hasn't meant that the quality has continued to rise. I'm not saying it's awful, but uh, I think there's room for improvement. Have you been able to embed that sort of deconstruction of social facts in your teaching? A little bit. I think still, so I don't teach on a disability specific module yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. So it's always having to come in with students who often don't know anything or have seen a bit of the Paralympics. So I will talk about theory and it's very easy to distinguish between a medical and social model because on a continuum there are polar opposites and I think students can get that quite quickly. When it comes to kind of further academic work, I would like to see that go further than that medical social model cursory debate. So I think students get it, uh, but it's, it's up to us to engage that on different levels going forward as well. I think so, so to, to add to that, uh, so showing students clips of the Paralympics or the Meet the Superhuman advert is a brilliant way of getting them to think critically about disability sport because it's it's there in front of them, those tropes, those discourses that we're interested in. Even without prior knowledge, you can start to engage with that straight away. So that's why I've always enjoyed, say, guest sessions or doing a session because people are talking straight away about it, which is always encouraging. Wow. Why, why do you do this? You know, this is the question, really. I mean, obviously, a question some of us get asked when having to, I guess, defend our work. Um, you know, I remember being asked this um, when being assessed for my PhD, but, you know, sort of activism and social movements. What, why do, what's the, what's the bigger picture? Why does this matter? Why do you do it? This is a couple of reasons. First one, I'm sure it's a, it's a selfish reason. I'm interested in it. And I think other people should be or will be interested in it if yeah. I present it to them in, in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, I suppose in terms of a lot of my focus on visually impaired sport, and I've had experiences of working with a visually impaired student as an academic support worker for a number of years, and seeing her experiences and speaking to her about stuff that is often ignored or not understood, whether that's experiences of having a guide or power dynamics between lecturers speaking to me rather than speaking to her uh, and just seeing, a, seeing something different. And of 2012 going to watch uh, visually impaired football, blind football, and the crowd having to be completely silent throughout the game, just turning what we think supporting and what sport is on its head 
and I don't know, when a penalty is being taken and someone on the side hitting the dimensions of the goal, all those things came together to think actually sport can be played in brilliant, alternative, uh, skillful ways that I think challenge a lot of preconceptions about what the sporting body should, should be or what it does. Uh, and so that strand, I think, has followed through. So seeing something in front of me that no one's talked about in an academic point of view, thinking, well, I can present this in, in new ways. And I suppose when I did my PhD work, which was with the England visually impaired cricket team, so I did an ethnography of them. So I spent time as a support coach working in the field. And there's the brilliant stuff that came from that, from my perspective, new, new things, new conversations around classification and terminology and empowerment, but also just spending time with a group of people who don't want to be seen as inspiring or on the most part, don't want to be seen as pillars of their community necessarily. They want to be seen as, as athletes. Now there's some, I don't know, negative consequences from that sometimes. However, these are people with lived experiences that need to be told, I think. So I'm not trying to speak for people. I'm trying to find a, maybe a bit of a space or a platform to share their stories, which I would see as kind of advocacy. It's, yeah. it, it's a bit of a, a gray area. I don't, again, I don't want to be this kind of knight in shining armor. Uh, but I'm interested in sharing these stories so we get a different understanding of what sport can look like. This is quite a direct question, so I don't be bothered this is okay to ask. You don't have to answer it. But no, go for it. Are you, are you in a way like an activist scholar? You see yourself in that way? Not necessarily, because... I'm not planning on there being positive outcomes from my work. Yeah. And I would say, I, I'm going to do uh, research that adds this particular value. If yeah. it does, that's great. So my work with the England team, I did give some feedback on guiding relationships or how to set up coaching sessions to make them more inclusive and, and better for particularly the, the B1, the totally blind players. But that's a, uh, that's a positive consequence, not something I'm aiming for, which links quite nicely with in the, in the book that I, is coming yeah. out. So I've written a chapter with Jess again on being a non-disabled researcher in disability sport. And we write confessional tales to begin the chapter. And it goes into that a little bit, but it's mainly me saying, I've come into these spaces, I've taken what I've wanted, and I've left again, uh, which is not necessarily the case, but that's how it feels sometimes as a researcher. Uh, uh, we also talk about giving back and the idea of that. It'd be great if our research can give back, but currently I haven't gone into a research project with that as the end goal, yeah. if that answers your question. It does answer my question. Then obviously there's, um, there's an element of the, the sociological imagination at play here and I think there is it's quite clear uh, an incredible level of reflexivity in your in your work 
um, and your honesty and your approach. I was just I was just thinking, uh, I'm not going to take too much time asking these, you know, going off and asking these what I what feel quite indulgent questions, but hopefully maybe people listening um, will connect with this and, and find these these questions interesting as well. Um, I would just, we often say to students, don't we, sport is a microcosm of society, you know, re reflects wider social issues and changes. And I'm just wondering whether you think sport is a reflection of where we are, disability sport is a reflection of where we are as a society, or is it, is it ahead? Is it behind? I don't, I don't think it's either ahead or behind. I think it is, uh, I don't think it reflects disability experience or experience of disabled people in, in the UK. Uh, I think about the rise in cost of living. Yeah. Uh, the rise in disability hate crime, the continual lack of employment for disabled people, uh, the disproportionate amount of COVID deaths that were, were disabled people. I think this is one of the key critiques that I think most disability sport scholars have is the disconnect between the Paralympic movement and what we see every four years or we see every two years with the Winter Paralympics and the reality for many people. Every day. And that, that's had real impact. So a couple of years ago, Activity Alliance released a report called The Activity Trap, which were everyday, well, it's people in everyday life being scared or fearful of taking part in physical activity because they were worried they'd have their support taken away. They'd then be seen as, well, if you can do that, why aren't you at work? Why, why do you need this additional guidance? And additionally, loads of stuff with uh, this kind of idea of the super crip or of, of the role of technology and uh, how we kind of have, have poster, poster athletes that aren't reflective again. Uh, sorry, that's my son. Okay, uh, I understand. I'm, <laughs> I experience it regularly. Uh, so I don't think it's forward or behind. I yeah, just okay. think it's it's a different planet, to be honest. But the problem is, is if that's our only understanding of disability or any exposure in the mainstream, apart from maybe the odd moment on television, then it becomes overly negative for people who want to take part in recreational sport or disabled people who don't want to take part in sport at all, which there are many people in a non-disabled population can make that choice without any kind of pressure. This is an incredible insight. Um, we'll get in here uh, into the lived everyday realities, which I assume, again, I would assume a lot of people who are listening don't, don't think about. Um, I, one of the questions we often ask, and this is also about you, but it's also about your work um, and how you've, how you do work and how you worked on this, on, on this um, body of work is what, what would you say to other people listening? Maybe people who find what you're saying today quite inspiring, are interested in getting a bit more involved with research, whether it be qualitative research, whether it be quantitative research. What, would, what advice would you give them? What, what sort of one piece of we call it the golden nugget. One piece of advice you give to someone listening today who might be more interested and inspired 
to do research in the you know like you have been doing i'm not sure about broad advice if i can talk specifically like i have a lot today about entering disability sure. research absolutely is i think there's a lot of fear of saying the wrong thing or of using the wrong language or terminology uh, or say from a theory point of view not using the social model because you feel you're letting down uh, an element of the disabled community who certainly were very vocal and still continue to be so it's about just it's just simple to give to give it a go and to find an area that maybe hasn't been looked at before but i think most importantly it's then speaking to those involved say if you're a non-disabled researcher it's about for me those long-form conversations or spending time with disabled people in sport and physical activity or if you are a disabled person looking to get into this field then you can reflect on your own experiences but of course that doesn't make you an expert think about how you'd still use your research tools to understand other people's experiences as well. Uh, so give it a go. It's a really awful piece of advice. I think. No, it's not. It's actually, I think what, you, what you're saying, I think is really, really good advice, actually. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that then. Yeah. I'd give it a go and probably don't be afraid of the conventions because you might make mistakes and that's fine. Like I talked about in the cone example earlier, or, you think you've rot written the wrong type of you might have written identity first language instead of person first or vice versa whatever the expectation is don't let that be a barrier for you to get involved that's good advice for students as well yeah i hope so i think that's the same for a lot of students and when they're going into communities they may be reticent to be involved in a disability sport project because they've had no experience of that before but it requires you, the first point, to kind of take that step. Really interesting. Thanks, Ben. I've, I've really, I've got a lot from this on personal level. I mean, I often say that to people who I'm speaking to, but I, that is, is so true. Um, I've learned a lot um, about you as well. Um, we just you sort chased. of finished. Yeah, yeah, coming back to the chase. We, off, we always finish with this little fun, uh, this or that. Yeah. yeah, and there's only 10, 10 quick questions and then you can get back to uh, entertaining your rock and roll star there in the background. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll just throw, throw this out. You don't think too too long and hard about it. Just see what okay. comes natural. Okay, first one, obvious one. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Um, research question, qualitative or quantitative? Qualitative. Qualitative, okay. Uh, dog or cat? Cat. So okay. the cat's here. I, I already meowed in this interview. But we've yeah. got another cat, cat person, with yeah. many cat people here in the faculty. Book or journal? That's a good, good question. Ooh. Journal, probably. I thought you were going to say a book because you're writing a book. I think I've said journal because I am writing a book. And it's <laughs> <laughs> Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. We'll probably need to update that to encompass some of the new... Things for, you, yeah, um, for the for the younger members of staff. The younger members of staff, yeah. Um, this is a good question again. Lit literature review or methodology? Uh, methodology, I think. 
I'm, I'm interested. One of, the, one of the, I think you're one of the fewer people who said that actually. Well, um, I don't think it has to be a dry topic at all. Absolutely, like, yeah. I know this is a quick fire. I, I like using innovative methods or finding methods that can elicit new forms of new interesting pieces of of data so great it's yeah. a great rationale chocolate or sweets chocolate yeah big chocolate uh undergrad or postgrad mm, undergrad okay winter or summer summer well hopefully <laughs> yeah well, whatever hopefully whatever. we're having a nice summer we're coming into spring thank, thank god and then last one um reading or writing it's a good question that I think reading again because of the the aforementioned pain around writing the book at the moment. Okay. I, I like you. I like reading the writing when it's done. Yeah. Thanks very much, Beth. That was re really really interesting. And thanks for giving us your time today. Um, you know, and to anyone else who's listening, um, perhaps if you've if you're new to research and you want to get a little bit more involved, um, you know, please do contact us and and. You know, we're, we're, we're more than happy to speak to people. It's not just people like Ben who's, you know, done PhDs and working on books. But I think everyone will uh, absolutely be inspired and, and really interested in the work you are, what you have been doing and you are doing. And also to learn a little bit more about who you are as well in your journey. So thanks for taking the time to speak to us today, Ben. Thank you, Mark. I thoroughly enjoyed it.